He didn't drive drunk, and he's home before curfew, so. That's what I thought we thought. Right? Yeah, we're good parents. Yeah. The Ilkley Literature Festival, culminating this Sunday with the controversial secularist Professor Bill Huxley. We killed the wrong one. My book deals with rational thought. You don't see me burning effigies of Christ. Well, you look just like him from behind. Yeah, but everybody looks like everybody from behind. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I am ecstatic that low-key TV series has just dropped on Disney+. Plus. Hi, I'm producer Dave. I'm glad it's on, but I haven't watched it yet. I'm just waiting for a few episodes to go by before I start watching it. See, I can't wait. I can't wait. I haven't watched it yet, but I say I can't wait. We are going to be waiting. We've decided as a family that it's going to be Friday night entertainment. So it drops on Wednesday. We watch on Friday. Friday night, clear everything off, and we'll watch it, and we'll be amazed at, uh, at Tom Hiddleston just rocking it as Loki. I've, I've already said this before, and I'll say it again. The MCU can take half of my money every month on a regular basis as long as they just keep pumping that MCU content straight into my veins. I'm theirs forever. I'm a loyal servant to the MCU. I don't care what I, you can say. Say whatever you want to say. Say I, I'm I'm sucking on the teat of MCU. I will happily accept it and say, <laughs> yeah, please, going a bit far. Give me more. Give me more. That's <laughs> going a bit far. I mean, I really, really, really enjoyed um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but uh, <laughs> I still haven't right. finished watching uh, WandaVision yet. So, and right. they say that this is better than uh, WandaVision. Look, I, I loved WandaVision. I really, really liked uh, um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And Lo hey, it's Loki. It's got Owen Wilson in it. I'm, I'm in. I, I'm telling you, I'm in. Anyway, I could carry on raving and ranting about it, but we don't have much time. We have far more important guests to introduce and get them to talk more about their projects. Uh, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And we have, coming back on, onto the show, we love it every time these ladies come on to talk about their projects. The Shakespeare Sisters telling us where, where their project, uh, uh, Soundtrack to 16, is at the moment because it's been doing, it's been doing the rounds for years now. Uh, and their new projects, the up... Uh, the Unreason, I believe, is one of their new projects that they're working on. And The Upside of the Unrequited. They will talk about those two projects in our next segment. And then after that, we're talking with writer, producer, and co-host of the podcast, Rules for Life, Helen Simmons. Uh, she's on the show with us uh, in the spotlight section, talking about her podcast, her rules for life, how she got into um, producing, 
and talking about a, a couple of the projects that she's currently working on, that she's worked on, and something that's coming up. But that's all to come. Uh, here is film and TV news. <laughs> You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'll do Dave's uh, part here. Uh, and I'm producer Dave. That, that, that's uh, for those of you who are catching in at this point. Uh, producer Dave's uh, audio seems to have cut out. And as such, I'm going to be doing his talking for him. So, And I can literally say what producer Dave is saying, even though it may not be what producer Dave wants to say. But that's where I'm going with. But enough of that for now. Let's jump back in and talk to some of our two of our favorite guests. Um, the few times that you've come on the show, um, I, I always, always learn from you. Always, I always say this, that I want to grow up to be the both of you. Um, and we have the filmmakers. The sh- I don't, I don't want to give the name away, obviously, because that's, uh, that's something that I always do. I'll let you tell us what your names are. So please introduce yourselves. So we are the Shakespeare sisters. Um, I'm Anna and I'm Hilary and uh, we're sisters <laughs> and uh, yeah, we make films together. Welcome back, Shakespeare sisters, Anna and 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 Hilary. Thank you very much for coming back on the show with us. In the last time we saw you, we were all in a studio together. And then that was like way back in like 2018, 2019. Um, yeah. And it's just been, yeah, been raving nonstop about the your first, your, your debut uh, feature film soundtrack to 16. So tell us for people who have never heard of you before, who have never caught our episodes with you, tell us what soundtrack to 16 is, and then we can talk about where it's at right now. So soundtrack 16. Oh. Is that, <laughs> that was producer Dave forcing his way into the conversation. <laughs> producer Dave, can, you, can, can, can we hear you now? Ah, I was, I was, I was going to have a, a lot of fun being producer Dave's <laughs> mouthpiece or being his voice, but I guess that's now been taken from me. So I will let producer Dave introduce himself to Hi, I'm producer Dave. Hi. Excellent. Hi, Anna. Hey. It's nice to see you again. Anna, producer Dave rudely interrupted you while you were telling us about <laughs> Soundtrack to 16. Uh, it's a coming of age film, um, which is all about being 16. So um, told from the point of view of two teenagers. Um, one's a girl called Maisie and the other one's a boy called Ben. And it kind of follows both of their like challenges and captures like the entire year um, and all their kind of anxieties that they go through and then kind of like the romance that happens between the two of them. Um, so it's, it's also kind of a bit of a rom-com. I, I remember when, when I first watched it, the, the, the feeling I had for it within the first three minutes when it started, I was like, Okay, this is funny. And then as soon as the titles came up and the the first sound, the first jingle came up, I was like, I'm in. I, I don't care where it goes from there. I'm I'm locked in. It's it's a lovely, quirky, uh, um, British. Uh, lovely to see uh, a British output like that as well. You tend to see that from India, uh, you know, India American artists. Uh, the uh, oh, names escape me, but uh, you, you know, the ones who grew up in the 90s and started making films in the late 90s, early 2000s. That's pretty much what that film uh, reminded me of. Uh, so where is it right now? The last we heard, it was pretty much doing gangbusters in various festivals. Where is it now? <laughs> um, yeah, go on. Okay, well, so basically, so it's out in the UK um, and it has, it came out about this time last year. Um, 
sort of on all the platforms and everything. Um, but it's still doing festivals internationally because we basically just started, like once it came out in the UK, we actually started getting into more and more festivals. So we were just like, well, I guess we'll write this out a bit longer. Um, but we think we're almost done with that now. Yeah, so, so my um, friends are like, the same film? The same film? <laughs> um, yeah, so we've got a festival coming up in November, um, Fort Lauderdale Film Festival. Um, I'm really excited yeah. about that. And we're going to go out there as well. Um, and that actually, that, that actually raises a very interesting question uh, for those for filmmakers who are interested in, in getting their first film out there, uh, because the, the normal progression from what I perceive and what other lay uh, people who are not familiar with the industry tend to perceive is that when a film gets made, one of the first places it goes to is the festival circuit in order to sort of get the word out there so that p critics uh, and distributors, etc., can watch the film, see the film, buy the film and start distributing it. Um, in my understanding of how the film industry worked, it was pretty much that would happen first. It would then get a distributor and then it gets distributed and it stops doing the festival circuit. But mm -hmm. from what I'm hearing for you, that's you're, you're pretty much doing because I know this, the film is currently on uh, for those of you in the UK Sky Box Office. Uh, I believe it's also on Amazon Prime as well. You can go and order it on Amazon Prime. So you're still doing the uh, the, the distribution as well as the festival run. It, how long do you uh, visualize the festival run for this project to be? I mean, we think probably after Fort Lauderdale, that's gonna be the end um, because that's in November. And we, I think we've sort of, I think it's <laughs> just we need to move on. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's kind of, it, it is definitely more normally the way you say like you do the festivals first and then you do the distribution. Um, I guess for us, like it's because we kind of, I think because the kind of publicity effort we put into bringing it out in the UK kind of gave the film maybe a bit more um, kind of well, more people heard about it, more festivals heard about it. And then we kind of bigger festivals started approaching us. And so I guess we didn't really want to say no to some of those opportunities. Yeah. Um, and I think because like when we started, we were kind of an, it's, it's, the film's got like no kind of name actors in it or anything. It's a very small indie film. So when we started applying to festivals, it's quite hard to get noticed to get your first few festivals. And then, and then we did, but then we sort of felt like, oh, we're probably just gonna get a few festivals and then we were maybe done. Um, so I think it was just because of the kind of publicity we were getting from coming out, more films, more festivals heard about us. Yeah, so. and I also think like, as we kind of took on more projects and grew as filmmakers, then festivals become more interested in you as a filmmaker and then you can kind of push your first film further. Um, and, yeah, that was definitely like kind of, I guess it's like, you know, nothing changed really with the submission, but like our cover letters changed and that we were like, and we're making these films currently. And then I think they basically, they, they became more interested in us um, and therefore more interested in the film. So kind of started getting into bigger festivals in America. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a slightly odd way around to do things, but I think it's kind of worked out. That's and and speaking of moving on from you know onto bigger uh, bigger things as uh, bigger filmmakers, we can talk about some of the new projects that you're that you're working on. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance One Four Point Four FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm producer Dave. And we're here with the Shakespeare sisters, Anne and Hilary Shakespeare. Uh, we just finished talking about uh, their debut feature, Soundtrack to 16. You can catch it on any of the platforms where you get your, your films and DVDs. It's definitely on Sky Box Office. I know it's on Amazon. I think you can probably get it on iTunes as well. Go search for it. It's a lovely, quirky, coming-of-age film. Uh, and then you moved on to bigger projects, one in particular, which uh, I caught, I first caught... Um, 
a notice of it and i'm slightly miffed that you didn't break the story on our show but you know we won't go we won't go there uh according on variety in variety magazine the unreason you've got names such as sophie thompson felicity montague johnny vegas in it um tell us what is this film about uh, how did it come about and uh how did you get attached to the project um, so it's a time travel comedy. Um, it's based on these two real life best friends, um, Ruth and Megan, who um, they actually own the shop in Muswell Hill. So like the, the set is all real. Um, and we've uh, added the time machine element. <laughs> yeah, so the kind of premise um, is they have this vintage shop um, and they find a time machine and then they travel back to the past to steal items to sell in their vintage shop. So um, yeah, it's kind of a bit crazy. And then um, as with time travel, never goes smoothly and um, they have to kind of work their way out of a bad situation. I really, I, I love time travel. <laughs> I, I love time travel movies that are done well. Uh, it's sort of, uh, it, especially, it, it, I know when you, you talk about Moswell Hill, you, UK based time travel movies tend to do better in my opinion um, let's say tend to do better. I guess there's not there are not many that are done, and when they're done, they're done very well. Uh, so I'm looking forward to watching uh, the film when you finally got it uh, got it done. Um, if I if my research is correct, I barely do any research, so that's why I'm just <laughs> raising it with that. Uh, it's it's directed by it's going to be directed by Chris Redding. Is it Redding yeah. or Reading? Yeah, so uh, he and um, and Ruth, who's um, one of the leads, they wrote it together. Um, and he's directing it and we're producing it. So um, we met him in Cannes, I think 2019? The last Cannes that happened. Yeah, so. the last real Cannes. Um, and then we became friends and more and more we were like, oh, this sounds like a really cool project. Maybe we should get involved somehow. And we kind of started um, working with him. And then eventually it was like, we, we were like, actually, can we, we want to produce this? Um, and then yeah, and then it just kind of took off from there um, and for us. So, um, yeah, it's been really great. we enjoying it a lot. That's fantastic to hear. You, you started off as a writer-directors and then you're now moving in to, uh, I mean, you produced Soundtrack to 16 as well. Uh, as you know, right, you wrote, directed and produced it. So now you, this is one of the first features that you're stepping into solely as producers and running that. What's the transition like for you? I know you've done it before with your first project, but again, it is your first project. At the end of the day, you're directing it, you're writing it. Uh, so anything that you want, you can get done. As a, just the, not, not just because the producer is kind of the boss on the project, mm -hmm. but you still have to compete with other people like, uh, Chris Redding, you have to compete with Ruth, uh, um, the, the writer, uh, as well as Chris, who also co-wrote it as, as well. You're competing with those people. And compared to your previous project, as you said, you didn't have big names on that project. On this mm -hmm. one, you have you have Johnny Vegas, for, for mm -hmm. crying out loud, on the project. What is it like having that shift from uh, from being completely in control to having to split control with some other powerful forces? It's pretty, uh, it's pretty nice really, I think, because like with Soundtrack 16 and like Much Ado, which we uh, shot in between was like, we were kind of doing like everything a lot and uh, being involved in every like section of it, it's quite exhausting having to think about everything all the time. So I think it's quite nice knowing that like Chris is going to take care of his section and we can just sort of take care of our section. And then like, we work really closely with him, you know, he like, all, like constantly talking about everything. But um, I think it's kind of freeing to only be worrying about your side of it. Yeah, I mean, you're sharing the responsibility and also the stress, which is nice. Yeah. Um, but 
but yeah, definitely like it's a really different experience from producing Soundtrack 16, which was produced with another producer. Um, but yeah, I think I think the main kind of difference is, as you're saying, like the scale. So um, we never had to like, for example, talk to agents before. Um, and like, I think stuff like contracts was just, was quite simple. Um, so all that is kind of, um, you know, a bit more difficult, but um, quite interesting. I quite enjoy it. And I think also um, kind of being less creatively involved also kind of frees you in a way as a producer, because you never like feel kind of emotional about things in the same way. I think I'm just able to be a bit more objective. Maybe. Yeah, like you can send yeah. out the script and if someone's like, oh, I'm busy or whatever, you don't have to be like, oh no, they hated it. I hate myself. Yeah. <laughs> you just be like, they're busy. Yeah. <laughs> That makes perfect sense. Uh, <laughs> uh, coming from uh, knowing exactly where you're coming from, where uh, the moment one person says, "Yeah, I like the script," but this character, you're like, "No, no, it's fine. I'll take my, I'll take my script back. It's fine. We, do, I don't want you on the project anyway." <laughs> anyway. Um, so that's good. So you moved in that direction, and is that the same sort of? Is that the same sort of lead that follows you into the next project that we're going to talk about, which is the upside of the unrequited? You recently acquired that. Tell us a little bit more about that and your decision to go for that particular film. So, um, so that is where we're writing and directing that. So in a way it's, it's quite nice to um, be able to do that at the same time because we're currently writing the script. Um, so we definitely have like, our creative needs fulfilled right now as well. Um, so yeah, we're basically, we've kind of, we've started writing. So it's a, it's a book. Um, by Becky Albertalli, um, who also wrote Simon versus the Homo Sapien Agenda. Um, and we uh, heard about it through um, these uh, really great, um, this really great company uh, who are also sisters who um, basically match filmmakers with um, authors. We actually met them in Cannes as well. So that was a very good- Yeah, it was the same Cannes that we met Chris at. So- uh, Yeah, they're called Bestseller to Box Office. Just give them a shout out. Yeah, Bestseller to Box Office. And they're really, so they're a really great um, company. And um, yeah, we met them in Cannes and we always thought like, oh, we should work with them and, and see if there is a book that we'd like to take on. Um, and then they connected us with Becky. Um, and we just instantly like, we really love the book. The book's about um, sisters. It's about like a sister relationship. So it just felt so fitting. Um, and it's it's basically kind of about, um, it's kind of also similar themes to Soundtrack 16, but um, a girl being worried about having her first kiss or like first romance, but also a lot about um, sisters growing up and, and how it's really difficult to let go. And um, when your sister gets of their first relationship, how, there's a bit of a kind of difficulty with yeah, losing kind of, part of them or... Yeah. yeah, the kind of central theme is like at the beginning, they're, they're, they're twins and they're very close and then has this, like the um, one of the sisters gets... Oh, <laughs> one of the sisters gets a, uh, gets a girlfriend and then the other sister feels quite left behind and, um, and feels like she's losing her sister a little bit, like losing their relationship because she's got this other person she's seeing all the time. So. Um, so yeah, it's quite an interesting thing to explore because uh, I think it's something that that is quite like yeah something we can relate to and yeah. Mm. And uh, so, producer, yeah, then... Dave, you have a question. Yeah, um, if you cast your mind back to March last year, I think you were one of the last guests that we had in the studio, and uh, at that time, you talked about another film that you were doing, Much Ado. Um, 
Where is that now? You stole my question, producer. <laughs> I was going. I was saving that for the end because I because I was hearing about you know the 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 upside of unrequited, and I was listening to that. I, I wanted to ask more questions about that project, and then come back to Much Ado, which I've al- I've always said I was looking forward to. It's one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. It's still coming. <laughs> okay. So now the pretty favorite has asked that question. Let's dive straight into Much Ado because from the first moment you told me about that, I have said the Shakespeare sisters doing one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. What is happening with it? Tell me what is happening with Much Ado. Um, well, basically, it's just so we were we were kind of nearing the end of post production, and then it just got hold, held up a lot because of COVID. Um, because we were kind of um, yeah, we were working with post production houses, and then it all kind of everything's just got a bit delayed. Um, it's really right at the end of it. We just need to go in and like check sort of things on the big see screen. the final, the final grade and final sound mix and stuff like that. And it's just finding a date to do that. So, so that's great. So it's all shot. It just needs to be oh, yeah. it needs, needs post production to be wrapped yeah. up and then it's ready. That's yeah. excellent. That's we good. Had a, we had a pretty painful editing process where, because we we're editing it ourselves, we kind of didn't know when to stop. I think. We were both editing at the same time, so we'd like take a scene each and then swap and then take another and then we'd edit each other's stuff and it was like we did spend about a year editing. Yeah. Really, so. We just spent longer editing than anyone ever should. But I think it's pretty uh well cut down now. But yeah, it took a long time to get there. That's fantastic news. Great to hear <laughs> about that. Um, so with your estimation, or and, and I know obviously things are up in the air, the fact that you've got other projects, what what, what sort of timeline? Can we expect to watch Much Ado? I know Producer Dave is waiting for it as well. I'm very much waiting for it. What timeline can we expect to watch Much Ado by the I mean, it slightly depends. I mean, it kind of depends on which festivals we get into. So um, I guess like probably within the year. It's hard to say. I mean, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm putting you in a tight spot right there. It'll definitely be finished within the year, but we're, but I guess we want to premiere it at like the Optimum Festival, so it'll just depend on that, really. Are you um, thinking maybe, maybe Rain Dance, uh, perhaps? That would be good. One of the one of the, <laughs> one of the things that could be good. Um, yeah. So I mean, I guess you just don't know till you, till you get in. You know, it's very hard Absolutely. to predict. Absolutely. Throw a hat in the ring for a bunch of festivals and see. Very much into the Paris Film Festival. Do you think that um, you have much ado in the next Paris Film Festival? Would it be ready in time for that as well, or to be submitted for the Paris? Yeah, I guess. Was that in February? It's February, isn't it? Because it's like Valentine's Day was overlapping with it. Yeah, it was February. Yeah. 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 I'm sure it'll be finished by then. I, I can never say the word sure, actually. <laughs> you, you have promised that it is within the year. So since we've already gone past February 2021, yeah. we should be expecting it for 2022, February. So I am expecting to see Much Ado About Nothing before anybody else sees it. So I'm just taking my thing right there. I want to see it first. I've been longing for it for a while. Uh, but obviously all the other projects that you have going on seem extremely exciting. I can't wait to watch them as well. Uh, like I said, and I've said it today, I'm going to keep saying it. 
you guys really inspire me to to go out and do the same thing that you're doing because you know you obviously do it much better so uh, i'm looking forward to seeing anything that you do and i'm looking forward to covid and pandemic and lockdown getting lifted up so we can all go back to the, the studio so we can all have drinks and chat and 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 learn more about the work that you're doing and go from there i, I did have one last question i wanted to ask before sending the ladies and this is back to uh, upside of the unrequited which is about as, as you as you said you um are adapting someone else's work what uh, what was the what was the uh, surprising uh discovery that you what was the surprising discovery that you made having worked or having to work on someone else's project or someone else's uh you know written work when you're adapting it what surprised you the most about having to adapt an already written novel um i mean i really love it uh i don't know if it's like I mean, I think the things that I love about it are the fact that it's like, so um, like, it's like a story you can get, we've always like really enjoyed getting obsessed with things. So it's like been really fun getting obsessed with like someone else's thing and being able to work on it. And we get on really well with the author. So we get to have those calls with her and like chat about it. But, but I mean, it was a great experience. I mean, from what I understand. Yeah, sorry, I mean, we were like, hmm, stumped. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, in actually, a way, I think it, yeah, go on. Well, I guess in a way, like um, with Becky, like I, I was kind of surprised how, how generous she's been to like it just in terms of like she gives us so much of her time um and I kind of thought she'd be maybe more like unavailable or you never know like going into these things obviously and then um every question we ask her like we just asked the other day we're like can you send us like a reading list and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> like books that are similar and then she sent us like a whole playlist of songs that like relate to to it and everything so um that's been really exciting I, we never obviously said never had that experience before um and uh and just having like someone else and on your team creatively has been really amazing excellent you you're listening to uh, to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm i'm marcus e Ako. i'm producer dave and um, i'm not too sure if we've already asked you this how did you start as filmmakers how did you make the jump to being filmmakers um, Soundtrack 16 kind of was our first thing um, and it kind of happened because I mean I, I finished my uh, physics degree and Anna was um, studying German and it was kind of like I mean after I finished my physics degree I was like I don't know what I want to do with my life um, I think it's not physics and I've always like dreamed of doing film and it was kind of a bit like oh we'll just try out making a film and see what happens and we sort of muddled through a bit and uh and yeah, I just kind of made Soundtrack 16 um, probably in quite an unconventional way. And then, so I guess like just making it and then the fact that it kind of turned out well. well yeah, I think, I, think, <laughs> I think finishing it, I guess, was yeah. the, because it's almost like that was the thing that, I mean, if we, if we had never finished it, which at one point it was like, we were really taking our time. Mm. And I think finishing it and being like, oh, we actually can make a film from start to finish was kind of what made us, go like okay we want to keep doing this um and that's kind of when we got really serious about mm -hmm. it and, and yeah, that's great to see yeah, yeah. and just as, and again just as I've, I've raved already about my expectations for much ado and hearing the slates that you have coming up we can't we we i personally can't wait to see more and more from the shakespeare sisters and as always please whenever you want to come back on the show and we can talk more about your projects thank you very much shakespeare sisters for joining us today Thanks, Thanks for having, having us. us.
And that was our conversation with the ever so delightful Shakespeare sisters, Anne Elizabeth Shakespeare and Hilary Shakespeare. I'm telling you, honestly, I when I grow up, I want to be at least one of the two. They, they are fantastic. They work well. I know their projects. I, I'm really looking forward to Much Do About Nothing uh, by the Shakespeare sisters. I mean, come on. It's got to be great, right? Don't forget, uh, anyway. it's called just Much Ado. I know it's called. I know it's called Much Ado. I'm. I'm in. You know. I'm gonna say it's Much Ado, and in my head I'll go about nothing. I'm. Yeah. I have to be. I have to be completist. Anyway, enough rambling for me. Let's move on to uh, Spotlight. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we have with us a, a writer, producer, and a podcast host uh, of the uh, of the podcast Rules. I, I believe I, I got the name and I, my research has obviously just disappeared. My notes disappeared. But it's a podcast called Rules for Living. But the podcast is going to correct me in a second. Please tell us your name and what the name of your podcast is. <laughs> um, I'm Helen Simmons and the podcast is called Rules for Life. So that's for cool. life. I knew it was Rules for, <laughs> and it was either living or life. But we'll come to that in a second. Um, you are primarily, what I first knew you, uh, knew you from was being a British producer. You're a writer as well. First heard you on the Filmmakers Podcast. Shout out to Giles Olderson. Um uh, and you you were talking about a number of projects that you've done, your progress from, uh, you know, from uh, from film school going right through to actually producing your own films. And you've got a number of films coming out at the moment. Let's start off. First of all, how did you get into producing? Um, I actually didn't go to film school. I sort of my first film that I did, I, I think, was my film school um, because it was a micro budget movie done in that vein that a lot of. British filmmakers have done like the Ben Wheatley model of let's let's make a film for nothing um, and see what happens. And so that was kind of my real education in producing. But before that, um, I'd, I was at university studying history and there was this society that was a, a student film festival. And I, I just, I, it seemed exciting. And I kind of got involved in my second year as a volunteer doing bits and bobs and then um in my third year I thought I'll just apply and see if I can get a bigger role and I ended up running it with my friend um Julia and it was just like it was just the best year um and even though obviously wasn't producing a film it was producing a festival it was the first time that I'd got to know people that actually did film as a job um to get to watch loads of short films because there was like the competition side got to run this weekend of events, which was sort of like producing in that you're managing a big team and you're fundraising and you're dealing with agents and stuff. So I basically had an amazing time and it completely shifted what I thought I might be able to do after I left university. Um, and it's just because yeah. we've had a number of uh, film festival uh, directors come on and talk to us about their process as well. And it's, I've always found it very interesting Having the opportunity to literally to sit there and watch all of these films, what is for you, what is what is your process when you're going to select a film for a film festival? I know you you're not moving into that, you're not doing film festivals as much anymore. But what was your process back then 
to actually select a film saying, okay, I've got a hundred films here. I've watched all hundred. I only need 25. What type of selection criteria do you tend to have when you were putting in films for your festival? Well, we didn't, I wasn't really, it was quite a democratic process because you had to be a student made film. That was a sort of a, the main thing that you had to be. But um, then after that, we had lots of different viewers. So we had like different stages of doing it. And because the festival was, um, the patron of it was Hilary Bevan Jones, who'd been the chair of BAFTA, she kind of adopted the BAFTA system to this festival. So we'd have lots of people who would watch all the films online and then it would kind of get narrowed down and then there would be smaller groups for each category and judges. And they'd have, we'd have these kind of um, judge sessions where you'd sit for two hours with like eight different judges and you'd all discuss the kind of long list of the films. So maybe we'd all watch 12 films. I can't remember now, but, um, and then we would debate them and we would make that list. Um, we would whittle that down to what we thought the nominees would be. And so it was a kind of, it was like a real, uh, group process with lots of different voices with different levels of experience and some of the jurors would have been you know very established in the industry and others would have been students so it was a mixture um and yeah it was it's a really nice process and I occasionally go back and judge on um certain categories for the festival still now and yeah Excellent. So you you've now decided to move from being a film festival uh, producer to now you've 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 fully fledged film producer in the UK. You did a number of films, and you talked about the fact that you went and made your sh first short film. Um, which there, there's one which I can't say the name because we're going on, <laughs> on radio. Uh, it's F asterisk CK. Um, it, was that the first um, short film that you made, or was there something yeah. that you made before that? You made something before that. So I made loads before that. Before that, excellent. <laughs> so the the very first short film, if you can remember back to the very first short film that you made, um, what mistakes did you make on that project? that you could give as advice to people who are looking to make short films or other films that they can say, look, here are the things I did as my first short film that I would advise you think of and you never make that mistake. Um, well, firstly, I think you should use your shorts to make mistakes because I think that's the time in which to do it. So don't worry if you make mistakes. But major things, we did do one short. We did lots. I think I did like, I don't know, seven or something. Like a lot of like different shorts. And one of them the hard drive was not backed up and the entire thing was lost <laughs> so don't do that <laughs> yeah and, and anyone who's ever done project work would know on, on the computer yes you always double back up everything yeah. that you're doing have a floppy disk do they use floppy disks these days Thumb drive <laughs> and google yeah. drive yeah yeah so de definitely always have two drives <laughs> don't have one drive um but i think you know the rest a lot of those shorts never never went any anywhere and didn't get into festivals and you know some of them weren't even that good like but we were just experimenting and and learning how to do it and I think I had to have done well I definitely had to have done those before I could do the feature um because it's a way of it, it is very different I think as soon you know producing a feature there's just so much more involved than there is with a short but the kind of the basics of um, how to pull something together and budget things and you know how to work with your HADs all that stuff it's the best training ground and I think you do on the other because at the same time I was also doing you know I worked on other people's films and I was a director's assistant I was a runner I, I did lots of kind of dailies work 
so sometimes sometimes you're doing two days as a location scout on a reality tv show and then you might be doing three days as a marshal or something on a marvel movie and, and like so i was getting experience of bigger sets and learning you know how they how they were ran and because that's a completely different end of the scale to the short films yeah um, I, can, I can imagine uh, uh, the mcu uh, an MCU movie would be slightly different from a, a student short film uh, <laughs> done on a on a string budget and just something that your mum gave you as uh, as as yeah. an advance. Um, so I can understand that completely. And you move from that short film onto other projects. Uh, you you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance One Hundred Four Point Four FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And we have with us writer, producer, and podcaster, Helen Simmons, who's just been talking to us about how she got into uh, the uh, film industry, uh, started off making, uh, producing a film festival, then working on short films, and then moving into feature films. Am I right that your first feature film was Chubby Funny in 2016? Yes. Tell us how that came about. So I was introduced to... um... Harry, the writer, director and an actor in it um, by somebody who at the time was at Film 4 and they'd read the script and said it and they really liked it, but it kind of wasn't wasn't going anywhere with other companies. And, you know, he was we were both inexperienced at that point and we met and I really liked the script and I felt like it was something that could be done on, you know, on a a shoestring. And at the same time, I'd done a bit of work. I'd been like a runner on um, a low budget movie that Steve Warham had directed. And I'd got to know the producer of that, Andy Stark, who's Ben Wheatley's producer. And sort of the way that he and Ben had done things became kind of a inspiration to myself and to Harry and being able to talk to him and ask him how he'd done things and, you know, really basic stuff like what, what template budget should I use? You know, all these kind of things meant that we thought, okay. And I think there was an element of like youthful naivety and sort of that confidence you have before you've tried anything to just be like, we'll just do it. And, and we sort of set a goal basically to shoot the film a year from the moment we decided to do it. So we gave ourselves this year, obviously whilst doing lots of other things to cast it, to find some money to make it pull it all together and and whilst doing that just learn just learn how to do it while we did it um so yeah absolutely and, and again listen to your interview on uh, filmmakers podcast you went through a lot of some of the minutia of, of dealing with the producing aspects and producer dave has a question that he wants to ask you, a couple of questions relating to producing so yeah. producer dave go for it one, one of the, yeah, well, both of them are related to producing. You, you said on the Filmmakers podcast that you were producer on this fil- these films. What is the role of producer? What does a producer actually do on, on a film? And how does it differ from the role of the executive producer, of which I noticed there were many on these, uh, uh, was it Say? Say Your Prayers. Yeah. Say Your Prayer film. Yes. So, so the producer is the person that's like doing everything the producer is ultimately the boss and they're ultimately responsible for every element of the film you know on a on a legal basis they own the company and they are liable for whatever happens and and they're in control of it and so you are the person who finds the material in the beginning and sometimes that's a writer director so you're just you know working with them to develop the script and stuff but other times it could be that maybe you've you like a book and you option it and you bring on a writer and you bring on a director. So you're kind of leading it in that sense. And then 
you're responsible for bringing the money together, for casting it, working with your casting director. Once you get the green light and you get the, you've got the budget, then you run pre-production. So you then hire your production team, and you're all bringing the rest of the crew on. You're doing you know overseeing all the logistics, and then through the shoot, you're kind of on the one hand you're checking in constantly with the director and watching the footage as it happens, watching the dailies, making sure creatively it's going in the right direction. But then also you're doing a lot of kind of um, of the logistics stuff. You're making sure the budget's on track. You're checking in with your execs, who I'll come to in a minute. And you're you're just watching the whole thing. And you're also dealing with a lot of, um, you know, personalities and making sure that people are happy on the set, making sure your cast are happy. Um, so you're, you're kind of doing a bit of everything and spinning lots of plates. And then once you finish shooting, you kind of leave the editor and the director to it for a while while they figure out what they want it to look like. But then once you get to that sort of first cut stage, then you come back in and you start to give your notes and you work with the editor and the director and the execs to get the cut to where you want it to be. Then you oversee all the post, all the grade, the sound, music. Um, and then you're involved in conversations with the sales agents in terms of what festival it's going to um, premiere at the deals that you might make in terms of distribution, what the plan is, then you're still involved when it comes to like release and publicity. Um, and then even, you know, years after, you're still kind of always tying up the loose ends of money coming in, contract stuff, um, accounts, you know, so you're kind of, you're running the thing from start to finish. And the difference with execs is that they're either, they either get an exec credit because they've put money in, um, so sometimes it literally just means they're an investor. Sometimes it means they're the kind of go-to person at an institution. So like if the BFI, for instance, gives money to a project, you'll have a go-to person who will be involved creatively overseeing things um, and they'll get an exec credit. Or sometimes you, you as a producer can bring on the execs to either give more profile to your film. So on the film we just did, you know, Ben Wheatley's an exec and I think that's, he's, he's been helpful, really helpful for the director throughout the process and, you know, in that creative sense, but it also, I think, gives an audience an idea of the tone of the movie. And like, you know, Spielberg will do that or Scorsese will do that to films that they like. And you mentioned Ben Wheatley a number of times, Ben Wheatley, uh, director of Kill List, um, uh, Sightseers, there's the other one, I, it's, it slips my mind at the moment with, where they're all in a warehouse with Killian Murphy and, and uh, a number of other people. I, just oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's oh, it was. Well, I, I love I, I love Ben Wheatley's films. They sort of they have a they have a very uh, uh, it's, it, it, all his films have a sense of urgency, but a dark humor right through. Sightseers, for example, is one of my favorite of his films. Um, but yeah, so you've you've injected that. You mentioned that uh, someone like Ben Wheatley would come in and give creative input uh, while the, the and that's the executive producer's role, um, where it was not as in literally almost there from start till the very end, which could be 10 years after the film has been released, dealing with uh, DVD sales and uh, VOD sales and so on and so forth. Um, for aspiring producers like myself, I'm, I'm, I'm an aspiring producer trying to get my own projects off the ground. Um, what would you sort of, one of, the, one of the things with regards to getting sales interested in your project, uh, what would be a, a step that someone like myself starting out with my first project 
how would I be able to get my foot in the door? Because there's always that catch-22 situation where a sales agent would not want to look at your project because you haven't done anything before, but in order to be able to get something, you have to do something and so on. How do you get your foot in the door to get sales agents to look at your project if you haven't done anything in the past? I think there's kind of two ways. And and one way is what I did, which is because when we made Chubby Funny, we were definitely not in the industry. Like it was hard to, um, well, I mean, Harry sort of knew people, but it it wasn't in the sense that like, we knew people at all the public funders and we knew sales agents who like most people would just you know give us a wide berth and be like no thank you like what are you doing and so for us it was making something showing that we could do it it getting a relatively good reception you know it got some four stars from peter bradshaw things like that that suddenly mean people are like oh okay they can do they know what they're doing which makes it much easier than when you do your next thing to get support alternatively i've got lots of producer friends who took a slightly different route of kind of spending more time either working for other people or doing you know shorts that did really well so they did a lot of shorts but then you know they would make that one that was maybe backed by um bbc or something and it and it gets a really good reception and it does all the big festivals and then they're working on this they're sort of they're working on a slate first so i my process was i made a film and then another film without really thinking about what my slate was whereas lots of producers go straight into the slate thing you know they spend their time working with probably by this point say if they've done two shorts with a director who's now really hot property then if they've got the feature with that director it's much much easier to get it backed by people who sales agents are interested in much easier to get cast who bring value and therefore the sales agent would want to sell that so I think I think most producers like of our cohort kind of like end up in relatively the same place. Um, but we just have gone about things in a different way. And I think that makes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes, to- makes total sense. You've got the two different styles as well, where you're uh, with, you, you talked about the slate of projects where the producer would basically line up saying, okay, I've projected for the next 10 years, I'm going to be working on five separate films. By the end of 10 years, I have these five films and it's bit by bit by bit. So you always work which for you, uh, next project, or well, one of the next projects in my list was Say Your Prayers, which uh, producer Dave mentioned. You're listening to Shoot Them. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And, and just we have, before, oh, sorry. Um, Marcus goes on with his next question. I just want to go back to the producer because, again, um, you said about producing on the filmmakers bro- um, podcast that one of the things that you found very difficult was closing now i don't understand exactly what closing is so could you give us a rundown of what it is and what you found so difficult about it i mean i i I understand it took some major work for that but what is closing it's basically the process of of getting all of your legal documents and things together and getting every financier and sales agent and producer whatever on the same page so it's kind of a and it's in something that always takes longer than you anticipate and so you often have like a checklist document where say you know you have to have these 30 documents signed agreed upon done and so the process and sometimes it's really quick the last film we did it was relatively fast because there was only a couple of investors as opposed to like 10 so the more people you have, the longer it will take, but it's it's sort of that process of negotiation. So 
it's basically in between the moment where people say, yes, we want to make this and the moment where legally everything is like signed, sealed, done. Um, and it's all of the like legal stuff, negotiations, um, paperwork, because within that you want to include, you have a budget that's signed off, you have a schedule that's signed off, you have, so it's, it's kind of, it's just the kind of nuts and bolts bit really, which can be quite boring and frustrating, um, but it's also really important. And it just means that hopefully you've done that before you start shooting and so you know everybody's on the same page and has the same same expectations and you're not going to have any disagreements later down the line because everything's been ironed out first and you're right with the with the fact that you you mentioned the nuts and bolts which i guess is the boring part of filmmaking but is the essential part using nuts and bolts as as an analogy if you don't secure those nuts and bolts halfway through your project, one of them comes off and then you see your wheel rolling off in the direction mm -hmm. where if you don't get a contract signed with an actor, for example, who you shot, you spent days shooting with that actor and then you then want to go and get that contract signed and the actor changes their mind and says, no, they don't want to sign anything. You're stuck because then you have all this footage with all of these people where you have to probably do what, uh, what's his name did for... Um, Army of Darkness, where they had to CGI w one actor and CGI in another actor uh, into play one of the characters. So I guess that's what you mean by closing, just getting all those, the admin stuff, the nuts and bolts, the contracts, all signed off, making sure that everything is intact so that when you finish making your movie, um, you don't have that tiny issue popping up later on. Yeah. Um, now, with this first pro with the first project, Chubby Funny, you probably didn't have as much of that uh, of, uh, of an issue with closing as you did with Say Your Prayers. Is that correct? Yes. So tell us about so tell us what is what is the film Say Your Prayers? What is it about? Tell us who's in it and how if we can get to watch it, how we get to watch it. So it's a darkly comic. Um, well, I suppose it's a, it's a it's a dark comedy, but it's got a kind of thriller edge. And it's about two brothers um, who are ex sort of extremist Christians who go to this town in Ilkley in Yorkshire to try and kill this atheist, famous atheist writer. Um, it's very funny, but also has sort of tender moments. It's kind of like a very British in Bruges type film. And um, we've got Derek Jacobi in it. We've got Harry Melling, Tom Brooke, Anna Maxwell Martin, who's been everywhere recently. With Line of Duty in Motherland, um, Vinette Robinson, and yeah, it's it was really it was really fun to make, and I think it's a a lovely sort of um, it, it's it's a lovely visual um, of Yorkshire, and like we did everything in Yorkshire, and we really kind of used the town and the locals and all the locations. Um, and yeah, so it's out, it's actually on Sky now. If you've got Sky, then you can watch it there on Now TV. Um, but it's also available to buy on iTunes and um, Amazon, things like that. Yeah, because I, I, looking through the cast list, I was just seeing names. The first, I mean, Derek, Jac Derek Jacobi is on the poster. His his face was the first one I got drawn to. And then the other two characters, the other two actors, uh, the name the names escaped me. But immediately you've seen them in different things. Um, uh, Dursley from Harry Potter, and I can't remember where the the, the uh, preacher is the other way the other one I've seen oh, yeah. the other actor. Uh, but yeah, so and they both are visually striking actors that I really want to go and watch the film. It is on my list. I will definitely see that soon. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. Producer Dave. 
And we've got writer, producer, and podcaster Helen Simmons talking to us about her career as a uh, as a producer. We've been talking mainly about the producing side of things. Um, I do want to come to the writing side of things in just one second, but I want to talk about Rules of Life, which is the mm -hmm. podcast that you host. Uh, uh, you're, you're a co-host on it. And one of the first, the, I listened to it the other day, and one of the first rules that you pulled out was about living in COVID, how not, if I may butcher this, but you said you don't have to have done anything, uh, as in, if, if, is there something that you need to do? It's, it's essentially, the, 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 the rule was don't beat yourself up for not having done something that you want to do. Yeah. Um, let me jump back to you. If you want to give some of those rules for life and tell us what the podcast is all about and tell us some rules that I can take on board and producer Dave can take on board to improve his life because he's a mess. <laughs> well, the podcast is it's, it's just a bit of fun, really. And we get guests on to give us the five rules that they live by. And some of those rules can be serious and, you know, actually very useful and profound. And people take something away from them and others are really silly. Um, and we just find it's quite a good way of kind of getting to know someone because you and, and actually guests always say when they come on, they find it really fun asking themselves actually like what are the like rules that I haven't necessarily written down or realized their rules but what are the things that I always um follow in my life and people often then ask their partner or their parents or whatever and they're like oh yeah obviously this is what you do and they haven't even realized it so um it's good fun and yeah I mean I can't remember what my initial rules were or my COVID edition ones were but um do you find that those those rules? I mean, and I know the, the obvious answer is yes, of course, because um, you know you're living life. But you find that those rules change every now and again. You might have a definitive idea of how you want to live your life. What to you, just off the top of your head, um, what to you is something major that has happened to you that is that has caused you to completely redefine one of the rules that you've always felt was fundamental about how you need to live your life. But that thing has now happened and you've now changed focus and said, actually, no, this is how I'm now going to live my life. Can you think of anything that might have had such an impactful change on your life to change those kind of rules? Um, I think, I don't know what my rule about it was beforehand, but I think definitely COVID and lockdown coinciding with having my second child. I, I suddenly, I think I've gotten a lot better at being disciplined in terms of like creating balance in my life and not not just working all the time not being constantly accessible I think it's very hard in our industry to especially when you enjoy what you do to be like actually no it's it's the evening now I need to put my laptop away or it's the weekend so I'm not going to pick up that call and I think actually that's really healthy and I think a lot of us have realized that that's important in the past year so, yeah. Excellent. And do you have a, a rule that you would suggest to producer Dave to fix his life? <laughs> I don't know enough about Dave to be able to uh, live his life. Uh, um, just, just take what he says with a pinch of salt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure doing just fine. <laughs> and I just, I, I want to just wrap up with uh, with uh, talking about your writing. So you, you're as a writer as well, because uh, a lot of a lot of people we've interviewed who come on the show obviously start off either as writers who then go and develop their own projects. I myself, the same thing. I started writing to create work for myself and then carried on to do other stuff. Um, what influences you as a writer? What sort of uh, material do you watch that you think, yes, this is going to inspire me as a writer to write a project? 
I actually keep a running list of things that make me excited because I think there's so much stuff that you can watch and enjoy, but it's not going to like change your life. And I think that there's a handful of TV shows and films where you leave them, you leave watching them feeling so invigorated and so excited to go and write yourself. And I think those things are really exciting. And for me, they tend to be, they tend to be just things that are, are messing or subverting genre and just being bold and not, not being predictable um, and managing to tread that line between making you laugh and making you cry or be scared. I, I quite like it when stuff is at the same time really dark and a bit kind of pushing the boundaries, but equally like knows how to, how to have fun. Do so, you have any examples that you want to give? Well, I mean, recently, like everyone's talked about, but I May Destroy You is like one of those shows where every episode you're just so excited and you're so impressed by what Michaela managed to do. Um, but then I've got films, you know, which like older films that I've always been obsessed with, like, you know, a lot of Von Trier stuff like Breaking the Waves and Melancholia, which I watch and I'm always feel kind of renewed to go and do something um, a bit different in my writing or, or, then, or then even you can watch a film like, I don't know, Booksmart, where you're like, I feel like that completely freshened up a genre for me. And then you're like, that's really exciting. I want to go and do the same thing myself. So, yeah, yeah I, I may destroy you. It was it was an amazing feat of work. I, I, I the last thing I read about it, apart from obviously recently winning, uh, picking up BAFTAs, was the the decision to not make a season two. Uh, I, I know I know the season one obviously capped it off in a way where you could just, you could literally end the story there, but the fact that we don't have a season two is kind of like a a gut punch because you still wanted to as as horrible as the experiences that she was going through were you kind of wanted to return to those characters see how they were doing after they had had that part of closure and carry on with them with their lives uh Lars von Trier for me um uh, I wouldn't say hit and miss the ones that I really are drawn to are the the very minimalist ones uh Dogville and there was the other one that he did I can't remember what it was um it replaced Nicole Kidman with I think Bryce Dallas Howard where it's all set on a, a, a soundstage and they had those rules where everything's marked out and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really love them because it's like a stage play, watching a stage play, um, which is great. But, you know, he's a controversial uh, artist. But I really enjoyed it. Uh, Helen, thank you very much for taking some time. I know you're a very, very busy producer sitting down with us, talking to us about uh, the project you've been working on. Uh, we'd very much love to hear uh, what's the next project that you're working on after Say Your Prayers? So we shot a film at the start of this year called Clock and Luda, which is a sort of darkly comic political thriller um, directed by Neil Maskell, who you probably know more as an actor, but this is his directorial debut. And that's got Tom Burke, Amit Shah, Jenna Coleman. Um, and that's hopefully will be coming out next year. We're, we're just, we saw a first cut of it recently, actually. So we're kind of in that edit process. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Now, we'd love to have you back on the show to talk more about it when when it, it's out. And I always say this, um, it, it's shameful, but I'll keep on saying it anyway. Uh, we'd love to get a, a, a copy of it, um, a screener <laughs> of it, once it's available, once yeah. you have something that you can share around before everybody else gets to watch it. That's the only reason why I do this show. So I can get <laughs> to get the screen. But Helen, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
And that was our conversation with Helen Simmons, who's a writer, producer, and podcaster with Rules for Life. Uh, we'd love to have her back on the show so she can talk more about her projects. You've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in, listening to me rant incoherently about random things that I like, like the MCU products, which I'm going to go where it's like, while you're listening to this on Resonance FM, I'm going to be sitting at home and watching the new show Loki on Disney+. Plus. They're not paying me to advertise this, but I'm going to do it for free because I love the MCU. You hear me? I love the MCU. Anyway, I want to thank all of you for sitting and listening to me. My name has been Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And thank you very much for listening. And speak to you all next time. And bye-bye, MCU. I love you. Bye-bye. I love you. <laughs> Is that too much? I don't know. We're going to fade that. We're going to fade that.